The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious Serious Fun. Yes, that's right. You know what time it is. It's time for another serious fun here on the UWGB Phoenix Studios Podcast Network. I am, as always, your steadfast host, Brian Carr, and I want to ask you today if you remember this little number. Chances are hearing that either brought back some heavy nostalgia, sort of like sitting cross-legged on the floor eating Fruit Loops on Saturday morning, or some heavy annoyance from watching your kids zone out in front of the TV for hours on end, and more importantly, not letting you have a turn. That's right, we're talking about Super Mario this week. Now, as you know, we like to schedule serious fun around big pop culture events. Sort of hit the zeitgeist where it lives, you know? This week, there are a few pop culture events bigger, at least in my orbit, than the release of Super Mario Odyssey, the latest in the now 32-year-old franchise. Now, chances are you've played a Mario game, or at least you're familiar with the character. He's been in video games, cartoons, he's had his face plastered on toys and other merchandise, was even the subject of an ill-advised live-action film in They're plumbers. Oh no. Luigi! They're on the trail of a kidnapped princess. Don't go looking for it. In the 1990s, a national survey found that Mario is even more recognizable to American children than Mickey Mouse. And if you're an athlete with the first name of Mario, guess what? You've probably gotten the Super Mario nickname. Just ask hockey player Mario Lemieux or soccer stars Mario Goza and Mario Gomez. Now, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Mario is the most prolific video game character of all time, appearing in over 116 unique video games. He's added a few since then. That number came out in 2008, but I think he still pretty much holds the title. Who could compare? The little mustachioed plumber with a spring in his step has been part of our cultural canon since his debut in 1981's Donkey Kong, and he shows no signs of going anywhere anytime soon. So with the new Mario on the horizon, I felt it was time to step back and evaluate where Mario fits into our worldview, culture, and imaginations. And I could think of nobody better to take this odyssey with me than my longtime friend and former podcast co-host, veteran games journalist and editor Steve Watts. I sat down with Steve in the late hours of the evening to talk about the little plumber that could. Right, and here we are. It's another episode of Serious Fun, and as I alluded to in the intro, uh, this is of course a special episode, or at least another episode, and we're talking about Mario. Now, why are we talking about Mario? Of course, the new video game Super Mario Odyssey is being released uh, on Friday, October 27th, about five or six days after this is recorded. So uh, we're very excited about that, uh, at least I know I am, and so is the gentleman sitting with me. Uh, as again, as I alluded to in the beginning, 
He is a veteran games journalist and editor, as well as a longtime friend and podcasting co-host of mine. I can think of nobody I'd rather talk about mustachioed plumbers with Steve Watts. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm surprised that when you did the countdown uh, until Mario Odyssey comes out that you, you counted in days instead of hours, minutes, or seconds. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was afraid if I started counting hours and minutes and seconds, it would start being a little too Broadway. And yeah. I, as, as much as I feel for Mario, I, I felt that might be a bit much. I have written a whole song, so it'd be a shame. Uh, have you? No. <laughs> okay. Because um, I, I actually, I don't know. I tried writing a song, but I was just so excited, just evolved into yelling Mario, Mario over and over again. Um, but there's a reason we're so excited, right? And that's because this is a character that quite honestly, you and I are both of a generation where we sort of grew up with this guy, right? Like this is kind of our entryway into video games as Mario, as well yeah. as not just as a, as a uh, entertainment pastime, but uh, as careers for both of us in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So in a way, we kind of owe a lot of our lives to Super Mario. And that sounds way, like hyperbole. Mario is our real father. Uh. You could say that, except here's the weird thing, and this is something maybe I was going to say for later, but um, apparently, according to Nintendo, he is canonically only about 24 years old. <laughs> Which um, is insane. I, yeah. You, okay, so like, walk me through it. When you found that out, how did you react to that? I mean... I don't. I don't know what I expected him to be, but not that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I never thought of him as having that was, an age. That, that was weird for me, being like a thirty-five-year-old. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't want to be older than Mario. This is yeah, horrifying. I, sh- I shouldn't be older than Mario. Mario should be like upper thirties. I feel like you know he's yeah, or or at the very least the same age as me. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is going to sound strange, but it might it might be partially colored by the uh, the. Uh, Mario movie, the the awful mm-hmm. live action uh, debacle, um, mm-hmm. because somehow even if even if I know that that is distinct from the Mario that we know and love in the video games, it it cemented in my mind him as this um, as this sort of like you know tough talking Brooklyn <laughs> kind of guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I picture that as like an older man, like he's he has he perpetually has to be older than me because because that that entered my mind when I was a child. Right. Well, and again, like, you know, when you are younger, it feels like this, these characters that you see on TV and video games, they have to be older than you, right? Like, there's no way, like, you know, they're all grown-ups. I, I, I'm still, like, I'm rapidly approaching the same age as Homer Simpson, and that's terrifying, right? Like, that's not, that's not okay. Um, and I'm going to eventually get older than Homer Simpson, just like I'm older than Mario now, and I don't know yeah. how to deal with that. Getting older is like watching all of the young celebrities become younger than you. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I'm still not 100% sure what an Ariana Grande is. <laughs> Some kind of dish. Um, yeah. Anyway, a large coffee. Um, that's not even that. that see that, that joke is old too. Like, so yeah. it's, it all comes we're, back. We're, around. We're, we're working all the fresh material, but uh, it, to bring it back to Mario for a moment. Yeah. It, it is strange that he's, he's, remarkably young especially for a man mm-hmm. with a mustache which like now it makes me think he's like a hipster millennial with that mustache but anyway <laughs> he's he's remarkably young but as established in the 80s he was this uh like swarthy i mean lou albano played him on the mm-hmm. tv show 
<laughs> oh, that's the great Captain Lou Albano. Thank you. Do the Mario swing your arms from side to side. Come on, it's time to go. Do the Mario. Take one step and then again. Let's do the Mario all together now. Yeah, and that 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 also probably helped inform my image of him as like this like yeah. kind of swarthy older man. Oh yeah, no, um, he was like he was like your uncle or your or even in some cases your grandpa, not not your kid brother. Like that's weird. Right. Right. So so uh here we are talking about how how um old we are. Maybe we should talk about where where we started with Mario. I or think did, that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to do. As I was going to um bring that yeah, back after, around. So after this long of being yeah basically married <laughs> yeah <laughs> this, we, this is how our, our conversations go yeah it's weird like you are like uh i've known you so long you are probably and this is i don't know if this is the uh says a lot about us or says a lot about me um you are like the the longest friendship i probably have like yeah. um and I, I don't know about you but same uh, same yeah, so like if for if you, those of you are listening, we we've done this for years, uh, yeah. shows like this. So um, it's like part of the challenge. We have to kind of go back and try to <laughs> we like have to, we have to pretend that we've never heard any of the any of the any of this information before. No, like even um, though we've had conversations like this repeatedly, again and again. Now it's just doing it for a new audience. Yeah, exactly. So first Mario memory. Let's let's start there. That seems yeah. like a good starting point. What's where's your where's your starting point? So I don't have an exact one because honestly, a lot of my childhood's kind of a blur. Um, but uh, I will tell you, uh, I'll give you a couple quick ones. Um, first off, uh, I, I just remember being fascinated by Mario and I don't remember how I first found out about Mario, but I would see like, you know, like I think it was my older cousins had like the, the, the NES and that kind of stuff. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was probably around three or four years old. I don't know. I was pretty young and I was like, just obsessed with this. And I was also, you know, my grandma got me one, um, uh, because she loved me and, <laughs> and that's how you proved your love for a child. Of the yeah. Well, and I, you know, it's kind of interesting. Cause I do remember one of like, uh, this is something I was told is that, you know, I was a big reader as a kid. I had people read to me and stuff like that. Like, but one of the ways I learned how to read, um, in addition to having people read to me and that kind of stuff was I picking up the instruction manuals. And so, like there were references in that original Super Mario Brothers instruction manual, like something called like the domino effect or something like that. I knew what that was before I was five. And like, it's, it's kind of weird. I remember just like very vividly reading those and just like playing the games with my mom. And like, we competed to see who get the most extra lives and that kind of stuff. So that's really, it's, it's hard to imagine a time when I wasn't playing a Mario game because like he's just sort of there from the beginning and here I am, you know, in my thirties with a job, um, mm. and, and all that. And I'm excited for another Mario game to come out. How about you? I mean, as somebody who has kind of devoted his life to video games, um, kind of fell, uh, backwards into devoting my life to video games. Uh, Mario was kind of like the, the root of all it, of, of all of it. And so it, it you know, no matter what happens with the series, no matter what happens with my career, it's going to kind of have a, a special place in my heart. But the genesis, of the, like my earliest gaming memories, really, um, besides playing like, you know, like a educational game on like the Apple computer that we got, mm-hmm. uh, dis- discounting that, the first like fun game <laughs> that I remember. Um, I think everybody has like a family member or a friend or a cousin or something like that, like, that like they're the ones that have all like the new cool tech all the time. 
and growing up, that was my cousin. Um, her father worked for like, uh, I think it was, uh, IBM or, 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 uh, you know, the TI computers, uh, some, something that he was pretty well to do and it involved computers. So she always had like the new cool things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to her house, uh, one summer and she had this new thing called the NES and we played Mario and it was like, I think literally just like the only thing we talked about or thought about for like mm-hmm. the entire, the entire ride home to the point that we convinced my parents uh, in great moments in propaganda, we convinced my parents to get us a subscription to Nintendo Power, um, which is which was a a you know enthusiast magazine for a system we didn't own. <laughs> and and should also be pointed out for those of you who don't know, and some of the folks listening might not know, Nintendo Power is actually a magazine printed <coughs> by Nintendo. So yeah. you were really pretty much just paying for you know, advertising we were, we were delivered to your mailbox every month. To us. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, it, it later got put, picked up by a different publisher and Nintendo partnered with it. But at, at the time when it was, when it was out at that time, it was being published directly by Nintendo. Right. Um, and so we, we just wanted to see all these, like all the, all the screenshots and the tips for the games that we didn't have and like the secrets. And we wanted to read all this stuff. We were like consuming it constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and after, <clears throat> you know, a few months of that, <laughs> Of, of being subscribed to this magazine for a, for a game system that we didn't own. Uh, as I recall, it was like a Christmas present to, to all of us kids. Um, and that was, that was, you know, and that was the best Christmas ever. Like, right. <laughs> because we had been like indoctrinated for so long <laughs> before we ever even got one. It is kind of funny because, <laughs> you know, looking back on it, like, I remember very vividly, like, obsessing over that magazine reading it multiple times and just like just being fascinated and fixated on this stuff and um looking back on it like we were kind of being trained into consumerism pretty early on um and 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 it's kind of funny how we we obviously didn't realize we were you know kids um but it's 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 almost sort of alarming looking back on it (laughs) yeah it's 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 kind of silly that we even like thought this was a I don't know. I don't know what compelled us to think like, oh, we need this magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need we need we need something to remind us to bother you constantly to get us one of these systems. But like when um, you were a kid, it was the coolest thing in the world, like seeing all those and just like imagining what some of those games were. You'd see like these really weird screenshots like, you know, here's a game where you're a giant floating head and you're. Yeah, I feel lying like, around shooting at things. I'm going to I'm going to date myself and sound like an old man probably throughout this uh podcast, yeah. but especially Understand if, we are both uh, yeah, pretty I'm, old when it comes to video <laughs> games. I'm going to be yelling at kids to get off my lawn, but this is something that I think is actually really really changed in games media and in video games in general. I think that um most of the time nowadays when you see a screenshot, especially video, but but even if you just see a screenshot of a game like you probably know like 90% of like what that game feels like, you know, right. if you see a first person shooter screenshot, you're like, okay, it fall. It, I, I am almost certain that it follows these specific conventions of how a first person shooter works. And then there's that extra 10% is like the room for variation uh, within that genre mm-hmm. in the early days of video games, which is when the, you know, NES came out um, that didn't exist. And there were a lot of games that kind of failed spectacularly and fell flat on their face because they were making it up. Like they didn't know what they were doing. They were, try- <laughs> they were trying all these new things, these new mechanics, these new uh, methods of inputs. Um, and it didn't always work. I think that's why, you know, we had the NES classic and now we have the S- SNES classic. SNES classic is, is um, 
like all killer, no filler. Everything on there is amazing because that was after they had gone through a generation of refinement. The NES classic is a lot more like, well, it's hit or miss. Some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. It's, you know, like that's what that generation was. So looking through a magazine at, at, at the NES games and the Nintendo Bauer uh, was, was very like, like you said, it sparked the imagination. It's like, what what could this thing even be? I have no idea just by looking at this. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like it's so and, and getting back to Mario, I think part of what made Mario so appealing was that idea of this is a world where there's just all these crazy secrets and you can see all these crazy creatures and places. And when you're a kid and you're just sort of like drawn to that mystery, um, that I think is part of what made Mario so appealing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is that you could, there's like this big wild adventure and just doing stuff you'd never seen before. And from a game design standpoint, that was actually very much the case. I mean, the original Super Mario Brothers was a very complicated game for its time. Yeah. We'd never seen a game where you had multiple hidden paths or different worlds and different kinds of music and like the ability to go back and forth. This was all very new at the time. And I, I think that was sort of the hallmark of the series from the beginning was this ability to kind of just go on this like an explore and, and, and do all this stuff. And, and, I, and I think you could almost argue that, and again, we're going to be jumping all over the place here, so please bear with us. We're, again, old. Um, but I think you can actually see some sort of, uh, of that in the appeal of like Minecraft and Pokemon and that kind of stuff um, for younger players today, is that when you're a kid, you really want to feel that sense of mystery and, and uh, just seeing something you've never seen before. Yeah, it, it, it was it was constantly inventive, but it was also um, intuitively pitch perfect in a way that a lot mm-hmm. of games weren't. That's something that um, we're going to talk a lot about uh, Shigeru Miyamoto in this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, that's something that he excelled at, especially in those early days when he was, you know, very hands on and, and, and helming the projects, you know, himself, um, is that it, it, it had this feel when you were controlling a jump it felt like you were in control, like to the perfect amount, you know? Uh, and a lot of games of that era were trying to get that level of platforming right. And a lot of them ended up borrowing from Mario afterwards because it had nailed like the, the momentum and the, and the, you know, the, the amount of sliding you do coming off of a jump, how, how quickly you can, you can break. You don't just like you know, stop pressing forward and you immediately stop. That's not how people work. So they, <laughs> he figured out like, no, no, you, you need to like press back a little bit to get him to stop. Uh, and and he'll, and he'll skid a little bit on one foot, like that sort of thing. Um, and it, it felt correct the first way right. that you played it. It's, it's almost like, and I don't want to romanticize it because, you know, again, it's, when, when you talk about game development, it's not necessarily this like magic factory. It's not like Willy Wonka or anything like that, but, there is sort of an alchemy um, to how Mario games play. And it does center around that idea that they try to make it as like, and, and like you said, it just feels right. And I think that's part of what makes the character and makes the game so enduring is that anybody can pick it up and anybody can kind of figure out how it works and do pretty well with a little bit of practice. Yeah, and I feel like we need to do maybe just a slight bit of backtracking here because we, we were talking about or at least I've been talking about Super Mario Brothers um, as like the genesis of this character. When it's it's really not. There, there were there were games before then. There were he was Jumpman. There was Donkey Kong. Um, was Wrecking Crew uh, before Mario Brothers? It might have been. And then there was the the Mario Brothers versus game like in arcades. So they had they had yeah. done things with the character before. 
Well, so again, if we're looking, if we're looking at that, Donkey Kong is the origin of Mario. That happens in 1981. He was originally Jumpman, and that um, they gave him the name Mario supposedly after the landlord who was renting out space in Nintendo of America at the time. Um, which, uh, which is one of my favorite stories. Because I have to imagine that landlord. Wait, stick it to that probably, landlord. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't feel like you've been super flattered by that. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's he's got his place in history now. But yeah, it's, it wasn't until 1985 that the Super Mario Brothers franchise started. And so, just for the sake of clarification, anytime you see the phrase Super Mario, that means a very distinct thing than just Mario. Super mm-hmm. Mario is more of the sort of platforming adventure franchise. Um, whereas, generally speaking, most of the other Mario games that do not fit into that are not called Super Mario. Again, okay. there are exceptions. It's not as very... Yeah, there's uh, like Super Mario Kart, etc. But, but yeah, and I think this is something that I, I wanted to 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 get into, and this is a good way to a good entry point for it is that Mario has endured in a way that a lot of um, franchise characters haven't, and I think mm-hmm. that a big part of that is that he can be anything, um, right. and and that's something that Nintendo set up really right from the beginning. He was in, you know, we mentioned Wrecking Crew, Donkey Kong, like from the first days of Mario, he was a multi platform star he was in these different types of games he wasn't just tied down to the one thing he did where Mm -hmm. if you get into his you know his mascot competition the one that's probably the best known is sonic and sonic was always very tied to a specific thing you know Mm -hmm. and he's had a lot more trouble breaking out of that specific thing for that reason mario nintendo started from the beginning treating him like a character that they that, that they can just do these different things with, and then that you saw that really explode in the Super NES days when they're like, okay, Mario Kart, you can just have a Mario Kart, things like that. Right, and that I find kind of interesting because that whole notion of the character. There's a couple things that I want to kind of get to with this. Um, there's that whole notion of the character as this very portable icon, right? Um, Mario does not have a very strongly defined personality, right? He has no real hopes or dreams or ambitions he's just sort of he's very plucky and he's very energetic and that's about the extent of what we know about mario right whereas you know other characters in the mario canon have gotten fleshed out more wario luigi um even peach has been fleshed out more over time um mario has remained a relatively blank cipher and that was you know you could argue that um, this is where I'm going to do a blatant plug here. I have a chapter in a book called The 100 Greatest Video Game Franchises. It's, a, it's an essay about the Super Mario franchise. And one of the things that's interesting, if you look at Mario and a lot of the uh, uh, other sort of Japanese culture that was imported at the time, is that it is defined by this fact that it's not specifically related to any particular culture. It actually borrows from a lot of them, right? And so, because they were able to make him not identifiably Japanese, it was easier to sell Mario around the world. Um, That, I think, does tie into that fact that they really did want Mario to be seen as this character that you could plug into all these different settings. Right. Um, And and what's interesting, too, is if you look at what what Nintendo officially... And again, we're we're talking about Nintendo's official stance on a lot of this stuff, and quite honestly, they make this stuff up as they go along. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But uh, their official stance right now is that Mario was, was originally de- uh, depicted as a plumber, but he's not anymore. Nintendo does not consider him a plumber. In oh, fact. I have a theory about that. Okay, what, what's your theory about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, uh, again, this is, all of, all of this stuff sort of mixes together in my mind in, in like a weird way. 
So I'm taking, I'm borrowing pieces of fiction from everywhere. But my assumption is that whenever he was a plumber, it's because he got sucked into this crazy mushroom kingdom where mm-hmm. there's like a princess and there's, you know, people with, with like fungus on their heads. And, you know, like there's a, there's a crazy like dinosaur turtle that keeps trying to kidnap her and marry her. Like all of this weird stuff is happening. I, my assumption has been that Mario and Luigi themselves, like they are the normal guys from the quote unquote real world. Right. Um, <laughs> that They got sucked into this crazy adventure. So I think he was a plumber and that, Back in the real world, he was a plumber. He got sucked into this world, and you know he's not actually going around fixing pipes in the Mushroom Kingdom, but that's 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 his his background. So for the years right. they were calling him a plumber, it's because mm-hmm. that's what he considered himself as a you know guy from Brooklyn who got sucked in. So so he self-identified as a plumber. yeah basically yeah yeah he self-identifies okay. as a plumber. But it, it, it's sort of like um, even if I'm not uh, you know actively writing at a time, I'll say I'm a writer. Because right. uh, it's because it's what I've done last, what I what I consider myself to be. Um, mm-hmm. So <laughs> I think it's something along those lines. Like maybe sure. if I got sucked into a portal tomorrow and and you know survived somehow, I, <laughs> I would still be the story would still be. Oh, he's a writer who got sucked into this crazy portal. Blah blah. Yeah. Blah. So if like but, a but crazy after, like, demon turtle kidnaps exactly, a princess, exactly. you'd be like, I can write a scathing editorial about it. <laughs> Exactly. But the, the story of that, of me getting sucked through that portal was like, oh, this writer got sucked in through a portal and right. blah, blah, blah. But then after like 30 years of that, I'd be like, you know what? You can stop calling me a writer now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've been well, doing it for a while. Here's what's interesting about that. I was just um, going back and looking at some of the notes here, some of the um, stuff that's come up. Because, again, I feel like Nintendo has probably tried to do more in the last few years about defining exactly who and what Mario is than, well, than is frankly really necessary. But... Um, according to Shigeru Miyamoto, who again was the creator, so I guess we can probably take him at his word. What he sees it as more of the Mario cast is really a cast of actors, um, yeah, yeah, where they I will like take that. on I different like roles depending it's a on very the story. Fanciful and kind of cute uh, way of looking at yeah. it too. And what's interesting is that if you look at the games, they actually do support that. Like if you play Super Mario Brothers three, mm-hmm. um, there is a curtain that rises when you turn the game on, and then at the end of the game, the curtain falls. And yeah. you're running across backdrops that, in some cases, look like they're just like bolted onto scenery. Yeah, so, <laughs> the way they the way the characters interact with each other, even like they'll they'll be in, you know, the mainline games where, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't know what the story of Odyssey is yet, but we know Bowser tries to kidnap the princess to marry her in some way, right? Um, or like uh, Mario Sunshine, where like Bowser they introduce Bowser Junior. and he wants a mommy. Which is like the mm-hmm. most tragic, <laughs> the most tragic that the that series has let itself be. Um, at any rate, uh, like those those could be perceived as like oh they're putting on a play, but when right. they're in their normal day to day interactions, driving go karts or golfing, like they all seem to get along fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean like you know there's there's precedent for that, right? If you if you look at like uh, historically uh, Congress and the government, right? Um, you have people who fight tooth and nail during the day, but they get together for dinner or play golf or whatever uh, in the evening. So, yeah, I guess what or I'm really ju- trying to say just, is uh, that Mario old, is a perfect metaphor for American government. The, the old like um, I, I forget the name of the, the, the characters, but the, the, the sheepdog and the wolf. Yeah. You know, cartoons were like Ralph and Sam. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> they clock in and then they they abuse each other for eight hours. And then they clock out. Yeah. Right. Um, so <laughs> we've got all sorts of uh, metaphors going through this thing. 
(laughs) But that actually does fit into kind of where Mario comes from. He was inspired by a lot of classic cartoons. Miyamoto was a big fan of Popeye and stuff like that. He's been treated like classic cartoons, which is why, Mm -hmm. you know, when people take polls, it's like, oh, he's he's as recognizable as Mickey Mouse and things like that. That's kind of what he is now. He's not just this platforming character. He's, he's sort of larger than that. He's larger than any of any one game. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Nintendo has very smartly treated his main series games, these main, you know, platforming defining games. He, he defined platforming for the 8-bit era, uh, the, the 2D era, and then he defined it again for the, the 3D era in, in Mario 64. So like they've really made sure that those games are something special and they're very stingy with them, but they're not stingy with the character. The character can be, a billion places, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but when they bring out a new main platforming Mario, it is something special. It is like a marquee event in the gaming space, right? Which is why we're doing a podcast. Like I would not do this for Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games or I mean, Mario there was, Golf Game. <laughs> there was another Mario game out like last week or something. The Mario, uh, it was a re-release of an old Game Boy game, but the the Mario and Luigi superstar blah 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 oh yeah 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 that's a good one but no i I wouldn't have done that for that either um no mario odyssey as a super mario title (laughs) is meant to be a very specific thing and a very specific series so um so that's again that's where the excitement comes from now i want to pose something to you did you ever go through a phase where mario was not cool to you anymore no well hmm. okay i went through a phase that i thought gaming wasn't my thing anymore Uh, Sure. In college, uh, I, I was just like, I, I, I don't blame my own, uh, you know, college cynicism on this. Because, um, <laughs> like, I, I know it's sort of a familiar story. Like, oh, you get to college, you, you know, make time for other things and you have less time for games. It was more that every time I played a game, I was like, this is kind of boring. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not enjoying myself playing this right. anymore. And I don't, I don't understand why. Um, and then that changed, I think, when the Game Boy Advance came out. And I was like, oh, it's not that I don't like games. It's that I just didn't like those games. Right. You know, like the the, the PS1 and X, original Xbox era, I think, is what bored me. Not not so much games themselves. Um, but no, there was never really a time that I thought like, oh, you know, Mario isn't my isn't my boy anymore. Uh, <laughs> See, he was always kind of kind of uh, with me. See, I actually did go through that. Um there was a point where I like Sonic the Hedgehog better than this Mario. This is like a shocking. This. this is a shocking revelation. This is isn't that shocking? <laughs> I told you this before. Um, but no, like there was a point where I, when I was a kid, like Sonic was the coolest. I mean, I never disliked Mario, but Sonic was just on another level, right? He was fast. Was it because he, he had was, he had attitude? I think it was. I mean, you cannot underestimate. You really can't oversell how important attitude was to in kids the 90s, in the yeah. early nineties. We were uh, we were almost like in a uh, like a full attitude-based economy there, there for a few Pretty few much, years. yeah. Like, attitude, sass, and spunk. That was it. That was what our economy <laughs> was based on. Um, but, uh, and Sonic had all of those. Like, he would tap his foot when he was bored, and he was just like, he was built around speed and going super fast, and the graphics were better, and he had the cool cartoon, and, and like, Urkel he had the cool voice shoes. Him. It was great. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think that he probably got more mileage out of that than playing Steve Urkel. Like, he, play, he voiced Sonic for many years. Um, but uh, yeah, like there was a time when he was just so much cooler than Mario. But then as I got older, that kind of went away, right? Like Sonic was OK, but he, like it became increasingly obvious just how transparent his attempt at cool was. And yeah. like he was closer to Poochie than anything else. It was a it was um, a it was a marketing driven kind of cool. And it, eventually yeah. you grow up to the point that you're like, oh, wait, 
<laughs> and and to look at a lot of what the Sonic fandom yeah. and what to, the Sonic to very, series to become, is to become very after school special. You grow up yeah. and then you're like, you know what's cool? Being yourself. That's cool. Come on, and Mario. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> Mario has always been himself, and what himself is is he is not cool. There is nothing cool about Mario. He is very much bright colored, happy cartoon, just like square as you could get. Um, and, and what I, and I think that in a weird way is what makes him endure is that he can't be cool because he never was, but <laughs> he gets, but he's timeless as a result. He's a pudgy, he's a pudgy little guy with a mustache. <laughs> right. Not, he's not cool. I think this, this leads to something This kind of naturally leads a conversation to something that I wanted to touch on, which is like the characterization of Mario, mm-hmm. because for, for a long time, they gave him a lot of personality non-verbally. Um, it, it, the the best example I can think of is uh, the Super Mario RPG in the Super DS era, um, right. because that was sort of the last time before he had he had a voice really. Um, but it was you know he was just the plucky adventurer, and people would ask him questions, and he his response would literally be to jump to say yes. Yep. You know, like <laughs> it was it was very it was like adorable and endearing, and then he's he's sort of developed a new um, a new kind of personality with. Uh, uh, I, I might butcher the name Charles Martinet Mart- Martinet. Um, I would say Martinet, but Martinet. Uh, w- I with, probably should have looked that up. He has an but... official. He has an official voice. This guy has been voicing him for yeah. years. It's like when you when you have a an official voice for like Donald Duck. It's like that guy is Donald Duck forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be Mar- fair, he was also doing it before the voice started showing up in the video games. Like I remember seeing pictures of him doing it because they would like set him up in this uh, facial recognition rig, and he would go to like trade shows and like children's museums, and he would actually play the Mario character and it would match yeah. up to his facial expressions. And it's and it's kind of funny because the you know the the silent protagonist is sort of a classic video game trope and it's something that Nintendo still sticks to. Like Link is still silent uh for the most part. Um and and Mario is almost silent. It's like mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they they make him like ninety percent silent where most of his sounds are like wah and woohoo and like mm-hmm. <laughs> but then he'll have like short little like five sent five word sentences and that's about as much as they ever let him say at any one time you know right and <laughs> and very rarely does yeah he never and like even in the text-based games where they're not voice like he he still jumps or just pantomimes yeah he doesn't really say anything and luigi and that talks has to be a, a conscious more than, choice <laughs> luigi talks a lot more than mario <laughs> mm-hmm. but even he when it comes to voice he still says very his his vocabulary is relatively yeah, yeah. limited yeah, uh, but <laughs> it's it's just kind of funny that like they they get a lot of um, I think they get a lot of personality out of Mario out of just like kind of letting you assume it, it lets you graft on a little bit of your own personality onto him. Right. You know he's he's not this specific character. He's a happy-go-lucky adventurer, and the rest you can just kind of read in whatever you bring to it. Right. And that's not, he's hardly the only character that does that, too. There's a lot, there's sort of a cottage industry of video game characters who are defined not by a clearly well-rounded personality or by, you know, snappy dialogue or a face even. But Mario is arguably the first. And so from Mario, you get your Gordon Freemans, you get your Chronos, you get your um, Master Chiefs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's really just more the look and the iconic nature of the character rather than, I actually want to see what this character has to say or how they're going yeah. to react to this. Yeah, Mario's never, got like two reactions, and that's it. You're never left wondering like what Mario's going to do in a Griffin situation. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, 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 uh, not, he's not even like as mischievous as Mickey Mouse, and that's saying something. No. Like, <laughs> 
because they abandoned the mischievousness of Mickey Mouse relatively quickly. Like, well, not relatively, but, you know, when he got past like the early shorts, he really just and he became more of a corporate mascot. Yeah. They really toned that aspect down. And, and Mario just like never had that. Him, they let Mickey get back into that with some some more recent work. But mm-hmm. uh, Mario is still just like he's he's just the consummate adventurer. He's the he's the good guy who saves the day. And even yeah. even the writing that surrounds him that you usually most of how Mario is defined in a game that in any game that has you know text like one of the Mario RPGs, Paper Mario games, things like that. Um, the thing that defines Mario isn't so much what he says and does, but what people say about him. You know, right. <laughs> like there there will be problems. Uh, springing up and they're like, oh, we should get Mario, you know? And it's like, okay, well that tells the, the player without really telling them, but that tells the player Mario is the good guy who's going to come through for you. You know, that's, that's all you really need to know from that, from that dialogue. He's the ultimate bro. Yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, Luigi is like, they they constantly characterize, I think they've had a lot more fun writing with writing Luigi lately. Yeah. Luigi's a super fun character. He's constantly characterized as one, like a complete coward and, and two, like eminently forgettable. Like no, no one ever remembers that poor guy. Yeah, it's a running gag in a lot of the games where they'll call him Green Stash or that guy who calls <coughs> hat, that kind of stuff. Nobody remembers his name. Yeah, like and Luigi Luigi will come along perfectly willing to save the day and just mm-hmm. as capable as his brother. But people will be like, so, hey, do you know where Mario is? Like, that's how yeah. they, <laughs> that's kind hey, of how it's they Mario treat and that other guy. <laughs> and in a way, I feel like we can all empathize with that. Like, that's one of the things like um that I think makes these characters so endearing and enduring is that, and even though like Mario himself doesn't have much of a defined personality, we can see a, a bit of ourselves in him. We can see a bit of ourselves in Luigi. And if we're being totally honest, we can see a bit of ourselves in Wario. We can see a bit of ourselves in Waluigi. Yeah. You know, the evil twins that are just like gross <laughs> well, and vile and awful. What do you see as the awful. difference between Wario and Waluigi? <laughs> I feel like you well, need to explore this. Okay, so I guess we have to go back and, and take a step back because uh, if you're Actually, not familiar with who Wario good, is... This is just a good lead into... There is this massive cast of characters in this game. Yeah, we, we've mentioned Mario and Luigi quite a bit. There's, you know, the princess. There's Toad, and there's there's actually different Toads. There's <laughs> there's Wario. There's Waluigi. There's Bowser. There's Bowser Jr. It's created this whole this whole right. cast just in the Mario verse. Not even yeah. the the wider Nintendo verse, but just in the Mario verse. And that's not even mentioning like minor characters like Lakitu or whatever. You yeah. Know, like, well, and don't forget uh, the Donkey Kong universe is actually part of the Mario universe. So, like, it's all one big ball. Like, yeah. it's just it's uh, it, you know as someone who uh, spends a lot of time thinking about fictional worlds and universes, um, the Mario one is the one I can't quite crack because it's so massive, but also so poorly defined. Like, it's just whatever they need it to be. Like I think, um, but, I think that the the thing that stands out about this series is you've got all these characters and they've all got very identifiable traits. Um, you know, Wario is greedy. Like that's that's sort of the the identifiable yeah. thing about him. But he's gross. not he's, he's greedy not he, he's greedy and gross. But he's not like a villain in the same way that Bowser is a villain. Like he does mm-hmm. he's he's chaotic. What it, what would it be? Chaotic neutral. Like he he doesn't care. He's just greedy. <laughs> like he's yeah. not he's not out to get anybody. Um, you got the princess who like is probably the most blank slate of all the major characters. She's usually just kind of a damsel. Um, but once in a while they'll have a little fun with her. They had some fun with her in, in rabbits, uh, uh, the, the Mario plus rabbits or, or the super princess peach game, which well, is was... problematic in its own way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about peach for a second. Cause I feel like she's um, beyond Mario and Luigi. She's probably the most well-known character, right? Sure. Um, yeah. If you look at the merchandise and that sort of thing, um, you know, they had like that, 
line of Nintendo shirts from Uniqlo, I think it's called, or Uniqlo. I'm not sure how you say it. Speaking um, of which, how crazy is it? Just a sidebar, real quick, talking about Peach. How crazy is it that they they introduced a name change, probably yeah. like ten years into that character's life, and now we're all just used to it? <laughs> well, it's weird because I think her name was always Princess Peach, but for some reason, and I actually in the U.S. she was now. yeah until Mario sixty four in the U.S. I'm pretty sure she was always only referred to as Princess Toadstool. That is correct. And then in, in Mario sixty four, they 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 made sure to sign the letter Princess Toadstool heart peach and it's like oh right. so that must be like her first name or something i guess <laughs> i don't know <laughs> yeah so according to wikipedia which is the arbiter of all these arguments um so in japan her name was always peach um she's renamed toadstool in the english language manual and they just sort of stick with that and all the marketing um and uh she then is called peach in yoshi safari uh and then goes back to toadstool and then in mario 64 onward she is in fact peach so um, why they made that change, I have no idea. Um, I, I think what was probably happening is the same thing that happened to a lot of things that were brought over from other countries when they brought to America is the people localizing it just made stuff up. So, <laughs> Of course, yeah. Yeah, so they must have just figured, well, Toad still works better. Or maybe there's I mean, like some, a of those, some of those manuals have established some weird things about like her parentage and stuff. Like, oh, yeah, yeah her father is the king for blah, blah, blah. Um, it's strange. Yeah, don't worry. Too, don't don't think too hard about it. Um, <laughs> that, that's just a good rule of thumb. We're, we're absolutely breaking that rule right now. But um, a lot of the stuff, if you're trying to make sense of the story or how the characters fit together, it, just don't. Like, yeah, I, don't I mean, a lot of the Mario plot it. is like very squishy. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. actually matter that much. It, it it exists. There you go. It is. They had it they, had, they had eight Koopalings, the and then he had just had one Bowser Junior. and. Who knows well, what's they, going on? Yeah, because the Koopalings were the, the bad guys in Mario 3, and then you thought they were Bowser's kids, but no, it turns out they're just henchmen of some sort. Yeah. I, my, my working, I, I think he's their uncle. That, that's what I'm going with. Oh, okay. Um, that, so he's got in a my sister head, that makes sense. or something. Yeah, yeah, there's another Bowser out there. But anyway, yeah. but, but what's interesting about Peach is that, you know, she was for a time, uh, you know, like I said, one of the most popular, like, or at least most recognizable characters in the franchise, but also for a time, one of the few really prominent female characters in games. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly uh, one of the few playable female characters in games. She actually showed up and was playable in Super Mario Brothers 2. Now, those of you who are familiar with video game history know this. Um, but this Super Mario Brothers 2 was actually a reskin or a sort of uh, weird localization of another game because the actual Japanese Super Mario Brothers 2 was considered way too difficult for American audiences. And having played it, yes, it is way too hard. But um, this, <laughs> and so they did. They what, don't don't give me that. You, like, uh, what, no, you're I'm, saying I'm, Lost Levels is easy? No, no, no. You're, you're okay. Correct. Good. <laughs> I was just turtling generally at the truth of that statement. No, but yeah, like it's psychotically difficult. It's not even fun. Um, and so they sort of hurried and like put Mario characters in this other game. And they're like, okay, four playable characters, Mario, Luigi, Toad, I guess. And let's also put Peach in or Toadstool. Yeah, at the and time. she was the best. She was the best she, character. <laughs> she was the best character. And, and, you know, I was actually, when I did my uh, dissertation I, uh, and I uh, later got an article published out of it, I talked to um, a uh, journalist about these issues, about, like, gender representation in games and that sort of thing. And they argued that, honestly, playing as Princess Peach and, like, Chun-Li and Samus and all that, these are characters that, um, you know, probably helped him realize that when he's a little kid, like, oh, hey, you know, women are just as capable as men uh, of doing things. You know, maybe I am a feminist, right? And... and- I feel like Nintendo needs to get some some credit for its uh, for its uh, I don't know if, I don't know if 
we I don't know if they would want to be called feminist or whatever, but um, yeah, so I'm not going to like stick a label on the company that, that they might not want, but they have created female characters uh, consistently and Mm -hmm. as much grief as they get for peach being a damsel in distress, which she is uh, most of the time. And still to this day, Um, I mean, let's, there's uh, something I want to bring about that, but finish your thought. And super Mario, you know, 3d world, I think was the, the most recent one that she was playable. And it's like, okay, but they, they created, you know, the Samus, they created peach who was playable in some respects. And then the most recent, uh, female character that they've created in the Mario universe is like the most badass character they've right. introduced ever in the Mario universe. I think a literal demigod, female. right? Uh, Isn't Rosalina yeah, basically a god? Yes, she's basically like the the goddess of stars, and right. <laughs> and it's it, and she's got this this um like actually pretty compelling backstory, and mm-hmm. you know it, it it's it's um it's simple and it's clean and cute in a way that makes it reminiscent of a storybook as a as a father who has a toddler i read a lot of storybooks i'm very familiar with like the tropes of them um so there's like a a a certain sense you get in reading storybooks that it it has to have a certain kind of simplicity to it and rosalina has that simplicity to it but it's also for the era in which she was created uh like she can go toe-to-toe with like the reboot of lara croft just right just she's in the context of a storybook rather than being in the context of, you know, an action adventure game. Yeah. And, and, and it's also like a different kind of um, strength because I'm, I, uh, and again, we're getting far afield here, but that's okay. Um, Rosalina to me, I think is kind of an interesting character because she is sort of trying to, I would argue recontextualize peach or kind of provide a counterbalance to peach. Um, because her defining characteristic is that number one, she has a story. No other Mario character really has a defined backstory. It's only her. Um, and that story is inherently about finding inner strength and kind of family, um, when you really don't have any, and that's a really sort of powerful message. And it's genuinely kind of almost heartbreaking when you start to piece together what her story is. And it's, affecting in a way that a Mario game normally isn't. And I, and I really can't help but feel like this is them sort of trying to like create a female character for the 21st century. Yeah. Um, and it, Lord knows peach wasn't it. It, 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 it still fits though. It, it, the, the thing that surprises me the most about, about all that is that it sounds like it shouldn't work right? Uh, in, in this, um, you know, in, in the context of this game series, that's very, um, light and airy and and doesn't have extremely fleshed out characters um it it works it fits fine like there, nothing nothing in that story when i was uh seeing it that's in super mario galaxy we should mention uh, in case people mm-hmm. are interested in going back and trying it to see it highly um, highly recommended uh like n- nothing about it was like oh well this is jarring like this feels out of place it didn't feel out of place mm-hmm. at all it, it it fit within the mario universe which is why you know we are getting kind of far afield by talking this much about Rosalina, but I think it speaks to what Nintendo has done with Mario that you can tell a story like that and it makes a lot of sense, you know? Right. Yeah, and and again, like when you put her up against a character like Peach, it is very strange in that, like it, like, I don't know, like I don't know why it took them this long to do that, right? Um, and what's been fascinating to watch about Nintendo is they have been trying to really push Peach as more of her own kind of independent character. Like I said, you see her on merchandise a lot more often without Mario. Um, you saw in the Mario plus Rabbids strategy game, she's actually like a playable character with a shotgun. Um, and it's pretty awesome. 
But um, like she comes in and she's basically uh, in charge of the situation and not at all the traditional damsel role. But yeah. if you look at the main series games like Super Mario Odyssey, which is coming out, her primary function still is to get kidnapped. And I don't know. It's 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 hard because as a fan, I'm like, yes, this is sort of what you expect from Mario. But as someone who's, you know, got nieces and nephews and, you know, writes about uh, gender roles and, and feminist issues, it's hard to look at it and be like, yeah, Nintendo, like maybe you should kind of dial this back a bit or, yeah, you mean, know, the, at least provide a counter narrative. There, there have been, uh, you know, smarter people than me, uh, feminist frequency and, and things like that, that, that have explored this in a lot more detail. Um, so I'm not going to pretend that I can sure. do it justice, but, um, it's almost like they struggle with giving Mario a goal, you know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't know, uh, if, if we were to criticize Mario for one thing in particular, it would probably be that like the, the, the plots of them are all kind of the same because they're like, okay, your goal is kind of the same thing that it is every time. Uh, <laughs> even in Mario 3d world, which I mentioned that has peach as a playable character, the plot was still, bowser kidnapped a lady mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just it was just a little fairy lady instead of yeah the, the sprixies yeah uh so it, it's it's sort of like uh, there's there's a um there's like a poetry like a rhyming nature to how children's stories are where they're all just kind of the same basic you right. know very simplistic tropes there's there's that consideration but there's also like try some new stuff when Rosaline is a good example of actually doing something new and doing it well. Um, yeah. Odyssey, we, we haven't experienced yet, so who knows, but what we know is that Bowser is trying to like shotgun a marriage to peach. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so, and the villains, and I'll never get over the fact that the main villains in the game are the wedding planners. I think that's hilarious. Um, like they're, they are that's pretty one villains. Of the things I, I love about Mario is that it is kind of inherently goofy and they're not afraid to be goofy. Um, like they're just like this is we're just having fun with this. I mean, like don't don't worry about it. It's just silly, um, and, and which is kind of weird because you think about like uh, coming back to that idea you had originally about like Mario being the the actual guy, right? That like an actual mm -hmm. human being. Um, one of the sort of like controversial things about the new Mario Odyssey game is that there is a world in the game where he is brought into a city that's a lot <laughs> yeah. like New York new, City. New, it's called New Donk City. It's called New Donk City because, and this is where I get to push up my glasses and play Mario Continuity Nerd, um, it is apparently the same city that the original Donkey Kong arcade game takes place in. Yeah. And there, uh, yeah, apparently, like, if you, there's, like, some shots of the, uh, um, of the environment where you can see the girders off in the distance. And, and the, the best thing is that the mayor of New Donk City is Pauline. Yes. Who is the, who is the damsel in distress in, yeah, and, in, and, uh, in Donkey Kong. And that's it's fascinating because I hadn't really thought that out until we were talking about it. But like they are actually sort of acknowledging that maybe it's time to rethink some of these things a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. good on Pauline because like, you know, I would have never imagined her getting into politics, but it seems to be working out for her. Yeah. Um, I mean, we didn't know that much about her. She, we, we knew that she wore a, a bright red dress. That's pretty much yeah. what we knew. Um, and she's also an, a, a singer, too, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah. But The, but the funny with, thing is Nintendo will make these little comments about things that, that sound you know, like hedging or like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of excuse making. Um, but it also sounds like a little bit profound. I remember there was, and I'm going to get a little, get this slightly wrong, so don't quote me, but uh, somebody asked, you know, like, how do you explain why Mario looks so different than, than mm -hmm. all these people in New Donk City? And the, the game director 
Um, so, so it's something to the tune of like, well, look around, you see all sorts of people who look different. <laughs> it's right. Like, it's like, that's kind of a dumb excuse, but also a little bit profound. It's somewhere, it is. It's somewhere in between those. And, and I feel like, uh, I don't know, I've been feeling that a lot lately. Like, there is something reassuring about Mario, like, and just sort of like, weirdly humanistic and endearing. And because I feel innately Mario at its core is a series about just like, you know, positivity and bringing people together and just, you know, having fun. Right. And there is sort of like a humanism to Mario, like even though it's like this big, fantastical, weird thing with like dinosaurs and and sentient plants that will eat you and that kind of stuff. Like it never gets dark. It never gets nihilistic. There's always like hope and optimism. Um, and, and, and that statement is just kind of like reflective of that. I really feel like they, they, they probably, that is probably what they thought. It's just like, you know what? Let's just, yeah. Who, who why cares if Mario he's got, like, fit into this? Who cares world? if he's got a giant bulbous nose that is not yeah. like human at all. And or at least like a third of the size of the, <laughs> of the, uh, <laughs> normal citizens. Uh, um, uh, 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 to, to piggyback on something you just said, like how it's this innately positive thing. I think something that they've done, uh, most recently, um, uh, mostly in some recent games, um, there are occasionally games where like Bowser will turn into like skeleton Bowser or whatever. Mm-hmm. I assume that's like them putting on a play or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah. But the, the stories surrounding the villains, when they beat the villain, whoever the villain is, when they beat the villain, they're not like conquering and killing the villain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like in the, in, in most games where you destroy the villain. You're not out to, you're not out to destroy Bowser. You're out to like right. show him the error of his ways. And so when you, when you beat him, it's usually like kind of conciliatory. Like it's like, Hey, they're there. You didn't, you didn't get to force an unwilling lady to marry you. They're there, right. buddy. Come on, let's go have some cake. Let's go. Like, so let's there's all, two things. Let's all go have a, a malted, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two things that strike me. Like, cause at the end of Mario sunshine, like you get that nice little thing where, um, you know, it's revealed that the whole reason they did this is because, you know, Bowser Jr. wanted a mama. And so that's why they kidnapped Princess Peach. And then, like, you get this kind of, like, weirdly touching little scene between father and son where, like, you know, or where Bowser's just, like, they've been defeated and Bowser's just sort of, like, floating in the sea with his son and just like, you know, son, um, I, I, I'm not sure how to tell you this. And, he, and then his son's like, yeah, I know, she wasn't really my mom, but I'm going to get Mario anyway. And it's this yeah. kind of, like, weird bonding <laughs> moment, and it's super cute. Um, but you know, they're not defeated. They're not like dead or anything like that. It's just kind of like, you know, just like in a cartoon, like they come back and they, yeah, they're we'll temporarily come back and get you one day. Yeah. I'll get you yet. But, uh, the other thing too, that sort of struck me is that I, I love the idea of Mario as the sort of inherently compassionate, inclusive figure. Um, because like, if you look at the Mario plus rabbits game that just came out. So again, we have to go back and explain what we're talking about here. This is a strategy game starring, uh, that was made by a company called Ubisoft, which has a, um, series of characters called the rabbits. Like think the minions, but, uh, they're rabbits instead. Um, they actually predate the, the we, minions. We should by quite note a how bit. rare that is. It, 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 Nintendo never lends Mario out to other companies. Oh no. Like this is a highly, highly pri- This is like, the they first only time they've done it since these super NES. Yeah, and they, so to to have a game actually be able to use Mario <coughs> is really a very rare thing because they had done this back in the '90s to disastrous effect. Oh yeah, yeah, the CDI, the CDI game. Yeah, that's right. That that, that game after. So um, anyway, but what's interesting is that um, the the villain or one of the antagonists in the game is the a rabbit who has like been fused with this machine that he can like um, turn turn his thoughts into reality. 
And so he'll make like all these monsters, just not, not on purpose, but by accident. And it's like, he's scared out of his mind. And like the, the implicit thing, even though Mario doesn't say anything and the characters don't really say much, there's like genuine concern and compassion for this little guy. They're trying to help him. They're not mm-hmm. trying to beat him or like see him as a threat. They're just like, this guy's in trouble. We need to help him. And that's so rare in video games, right? Like it's just so relentlessly upbeat and inclusive and happy. And it kind of makes my heart sink. Yeah, the thing the thing that is making the monsters, they're like, we need to save that guy. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to we don't want to kill him. We just want to help him. Yeah. And he it, it helps that the characterization of that character is uh, constantly just terrified. <laughs> yeah. It's it's I mean, it's weird because it's like a game aimed at all ages, but it's basically body horror. Like, yeah, it's creepy. It's creepy as yeah. <laughs> it's creepy as uh, heck when, when it first happens. Uh, and yeah. there's there's uh, a major character. I, we, we've gone through the, such a gamut of, of of jumping around different topics, but there's a pretty major character that we haven't dealt with yet. We've mentioned, but um, Wario uh-huh. is is a weird uh, inclusion in the Mario franchise because he's mm-hmm. he's not the villain. He's not an anti-hero either, although he has starred in his own games. Um, but he is he is an anti-hero in that he is the exact opposite of the hero. It's sort of like Mario is defined um, partly by you know his own qualities, but partly by who surrounds him and by having a character that like this guy is the opposite of Mario and he's crazy greedy and cares <laughs> only about himself. Like that tells you a lot about Mario itself. And what's weird is that they even actually like. Uh, if you go back, and I don't know how much this is actually official canon, or that there even is such a thing as official Mario canon at this point, but um, there is a comic strip or a manga that got published in uh, the Nintendo Power magazine that sort of talks about Mario and Wario's relationship to each other, and like Wario always resented Mario because he was more liked and like um, would you know just like you know more popular and that sort of thing. And, uh, like, would inadvertently get Wario into trouble just by, like, playing... Like, they would play, you know, cops and robbers, and he would always be the cop, and Wario didn't like that. And so it's kind of, like, even the, like, character that's probably closest to, like, a sort of, like, um, antagonist, greedy uh, anti-hero still had a tragic background. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, like... It's it's just... I don't know. There's just something so endearing and upbeat about all of it. It's kind of hard not to to look at it and just be like, you know what? This is nice. I'm glad this is still a thing. And we should mention his his the little the little pun at, at the root of the Wario thing. The there it's it's actually a Japanese pun. People people might not, might not realize this because I didn't realize when I played when I was a small child. No, he first, me either. He first appeared in Super Mario Land two uh, on the Game Boy. Um, and when you first see that character, he's he's you know Wario, and it's like oh okay War Mario that makes sense. But he's not like particularly belligerent or warlike because that's not mm-hmm. actually what it means. Uh, it's it's actually a pun where uh, I think it's Warui means mm-hmm. means like bad it just means bad um and so they they sort of like melded the words together in like a japanese pun and then just mm-hmm. brought that pun to america in a way that didn't particularly yep. make sense um no but but <laughs> the funny thing is then they transposed that pun onto the evil you know the bad greedy luigi where it's an even better japanese pun because warui and then luigi and the R's and L rule with Japanese, like the yeah. the, the phonetic phonetic sounds are the same. So it's it's a really good Japanese pun. But in mm-hmm. Amer- in America, he's just Waluigi. <laughs> and people are like oh, that doesn't make any sense. It's not very imaginative. Well, it makes sense in the original yeah. language, right? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a great pun uh, to the, to the Japanese. <laughs> but in mm-hmm. America, it's just like oh wait, you just took the first two letters of Wario and then sort of yeah. grafted it onto this other thing. Um, but even. It, oh, that's my it's cat. It's very strange. 
even uh um what's interesting about that character too is that again like you know you have these guys who are sort of like the the bullies or the antagonists but like uh charles martinet who actually does the voice for pretty much all of these characters um he talks about wario and waluigi and just says yeah i i don't know i just think it's kind of nice that these two kind of bad dudes who are just sort of like weird and don't fit anywhere else just found each other and now they're friends and like again that's a very mario (laughs) kind of way of looking at things right like everybody just ends up being friends with somebody I'm just waiting for like a Wapich, like just include, introduce the Wapich. The, the, <laughs> the funny thing about the Wario, uh, the whole Wario thing, and um, I, this, this might be my last, my last ramble, I promise. But um, the funny thing is they've got, you know, the, this huge cast of characters, you know, Mario, Luigi, Bowser, all those people that we mentioned. Then they've got this other character, Wario, who himself has his own cast <laughs> Mm-hmm. They've introduced, you know, through the through the WarioWare micro games, they've introduced his own little cast of characters that he employs to make his games, um, like the vampire girl and the the kid who plays who, who's like a retro gaming mm-hmm. enthusiast. Like all of those are technically Mario canon because they're under the umbrella of Wario, right. who is in the Mario canon. And he'll and you'll they'll never meet because they're like in separate universes because the whole Wario franchise that those characters are part <coughs> of doesn't really connect with anything else. So yeah, and it wouldn't make it wouldn't make a lot of sense if like this if this kid was obsessed with Mario games and Mario really existed in his world or right. whatever. But like they they all kind of exist in this weird squishy place uh, mm-hmm. together, which I find kind of uh, I don't know weirdly endearing that there's <laughs> there's a huge cast of characters and then there's like subclasses. Yeah, it's and it, it, so it's, it's just this big, sprawling thing. And I think even with Wario, part of the reason that Wario kind of became his own thing, because he was really just a villain in, uh, in a Game Boy game originally. Um, but then they started using him as a way to kind of like experiment with things they could never do in a traditional Mario game um, and kind of do like these like edgier jokes and kind of, uh, um, you know, do gameplay systems that just wouldn't fit anywhere else. And so... Like, it's just interesting how this sort of, like, very basic concept or basic template has been interpreted and spun around in so many different ways over the years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of Mario history. What else do we need to, to touch on here? I know I know Odyssey is coming up. Do, we, do you want to yeah. speculate at all about it? Well, I think that, I mean, we could talk about Odyssey. Uh, we could talk about Odyssey really quick. Like, um, you know, Odyssey is, again, like, if you look at the eras of Mario games, a lot of them are really kind of trying to do different things within the framework of Mario, right? So you had the original Super Mario Brothers game, which was, you know, of course, where it all started. Introduced the idea of like alternate paths and warps and hidden worlds and that kind of stuff. Then you had Super Mario World, which took all of that, but then added like, you know, here's this big sprawling world where you can go to all these different stages. There's different hidden exits, and so you get more secrets and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Mario um, Three was sort of the the culmination of the things they introduced in yeah. the original Mario Brothers. Yeah, um, I'm just I'm just jumping from generation to generation. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah I, I just I'm, wanted I'm, to clarify why we skipped like, that one. Yeah, like the biggest Mario game of all time. I didn't skip it because it wasn't important. I just you know, um, but like there's there's so many to talk about. It's hard to, to cover them all. But in Mario 64, you have like the 3D movement and that kind of thing, and like trying to like put Mario and really focus on the exploration rather than just like the pure platforming. Um, and, and I feel like this is another big change because instead of doing the way they uh, doing it the way they've done before, you're having instead this thing where you're essentially making an open world Mario game. It looks like so you have this big area to run around in, and there's no real defined stages necessarily. There's different worlds you can travel to, 
Um, but uh, like, so you said just kind of like saying, okay, here's this big city or here's this big forest. Now there's all these little hidden things hidden around. The game is now just running around trying to find that stuff. And that's so radically different as a concept than what we've seen in Mario before. And I'm really kind of fascinated to see how that's going to play out. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can sort of uh, divide the mainline Mario series into two games. There's the games that try to do something completely new. Um, and sometimes they succeed. And, well, most of the time they succeed. Sometimes they don't succeed as well. You know, you've got your Mario Brothers, your Mario World, your Mario 64, the ones you mentioned that sort of set, set the agenda for other platformers in some ways. Um, and then you've got the others that are like, okay, well, this is like perfecting the thing they already did, which mm-hmm. is Mario 3 and Mario Galaxy um, Mario Sunshine even had an element of that, and, and like, it, it was all, it was partly experimental, but it also partly just like really nailed the stuff that they put in '64. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been years since we've had either one of those. Uh, the the most the closest we got on the on the Wii U um, was you know Super Mario 3D World, which was basically just a sequel to Super Mario 3D Land on mm-hmm. the on the DS. Uh, so it, it even that wasn't like trying something new completely. Um, well, it did have that kind of. Agenda. You could play like four players at once, and that was a pretty yeah. Big that was change. that was sort they of their really experiment. But even, even then, they had done co-op in the new Super Mario Brothers games. Right. This was this was co-op in a different context, but it was that's true. It was still, yeah. you know, uh, so yeah, Mario Odyssey. All all, the, all that to say, Mario Odyssey is the first one in a long time that it felt like they're just trying to set the agenda again. Like this is where we see this series going, and maybe in the future we're going to release another one that like iterates on this even further. Right, um, and we we barely mentioned this other series, but it goes hand in hand with uh, the Legend of Zelda series, mm-hmm. which which also this generation came out with, um, you know, not even that long ago, last last year, came out with a, a new game that completely reinvented what that series is kind of about by making it more open and more just like, hey, we're go- we're not going to tell you how to play this time. We're just going to give you a toy box and say, go do stuff. And right. from the early impressions that we've heard, and I, I actually played a little bit at at, uh, at E3, um, it it does that again with this whole oh your hat can become basically anything in this world. So figure mm-hmm. out how to how to have fun with that. Figure out how to right. how to how to exploit that to your advantage. Um, and it's a and, and it's kind of a like and again like it comes back to that thing I love about Mario is that not only is it an interesting gameplay mechanic, it's also just inherently weird and. Like, you know, you're turning yourself into a, you're like possessing frogs or you're possessing just like a random businessman and making him race uh, RC cars around <laughs> and just like, or, or you're becoming a tank. And it's just like, this is so ridiculous that, but, but again, it's just that kind of like weird, like, and I think what's interesting about this is that it is sort of showing the creativity that can go into games like this and just using that sort of like basic framework to be like, okay, if we could do anything, what could we do? And then we'll yeah. put Mario in it. So it'll sell. Yeah, and uh, I've used this comparison before uh, on other podcasts that we've done. So if anyone is, you know, I guess just a weird stalker fan of mine, they've heard this before. But like the the thing that Mario always got, and that Zelda always got in the early days, that I think they might have lost track of a little bit uh, here and there, um, is that the essence of play is like poking at a toy to figure out what it does. And mm-hmm. the early Mario games were very much about that. Like they, you mentioned, that it was it was such a a new and and novel thing to have all these hidden paths where you just hear on the playground, like, Oh, did you know that if you go above this stage, you can find these pipes that take you to like world four, you know, like that was crazy. That was mind blowing <laughs> at the time. And now it's old hat. But at the time that was, 
that was a, a, a really surprising thing to learn um, that you could just find for yourself out of it through experimentation and, and poking at it. And later Nintendo games with the advent of 3D and with these worlds that have to be, you know, they don't, they, it, it's harder to make them open like that. They, they, they became more rigid um, for both Zelda and Mario. The, the worlds became more rigid. They, the walls became more defined. What you can and cannot do became more defined. And mm. now that the the hardware power power is starting to catch up and allow them to have a little more flexibility in these 3D worlds, they're starting to be like, okay, let's get back to that essence of play, of let the player themselves poke at the world and experiment with the world and see what happens when they do certain things and see combinations that might even surprise us as the game designers um, that we might have, might not have anticipated. I mean, uh, you're already seeing people going out and speed running the demo in stores. Yeah. Trying to find the <laughs> fastest way to finish everything in the demo. And like, that was never intended, but... Yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's it's it's a philosophical shift kind of back to, to their roots. And I think that's why Odyssey is you know, one of the more exciting Mario games in, in a long time because it's it's uh, following Zelda's lead and, like, getting back to what Nintendo uh, is best at, which is, like, pure essence of play, let people experiment, let people figure things out. So let me ask you something um, as a <coughs> point on this. Um, last year at the Olympics, um, the closing ceremonies as sort of the handoff ceremony they do every year... <laughs> oh, yeah. um, uh, they always do a, tra- a handoff from the current host nation to the one that will host the next games, right? So last year it was Rio de Janeiro uh, in Brazil. Um, this year, or sorry, in 2020, it's going to be in Tokyo. And so mm-hmm. they decided, and usually the handoff ceremony involves some sort of cultural uh, significance from that country. <coughs> and they decided to use, um, the first thing we saw was really the Japanese prime minister becoming Mario and going through a warp pipe to get to the stadium. And this, I think, is fascinating because, you know, you choose the thing that is culturally significant and important to your country um, and to the world that, you know, the world will pick up on to represent you at the Olympics, right? Right. And they chose Mario. Like, that's that's a heck of an endorsement um, for for this character. You know, that was was fun to see as, like, a lifelong Mm -hmm. fan. I, I think it... It's kind of funny the I'm sure that I might have Japan, clapped my hands. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm sure that in Japan, um, there are there are cultural landmarks that might be more internally, mm-hmm. um, you know, relevant in some way. Like uh, that, the, there might be something that like two Jap- if a Japanese person was speaking to another Japanese person, they might not reference Mario necessarily, or they might. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but like, Mar- I think that marked Mario as like Japan understands that this is like one of their biggest cultural exports, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and to be fair, he wasn't the only part. Like, the, that's, like, one part of a very large ceremony. But Right, yeah. But it was the first thing we saw, too. Like, yeah. Um, and and to, I guess the, the reason I bring this up is because I feel like this shows, again, not just, like, that character's cultural impact in, in the country of origin, but also just this is something, like, you know, we picked characters, or, you know, we did this, and this is a character is so recognizable to so many people around the world I guess I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here is we know that Mario is a really big cultural force. I, I think it's hard to ignore that. But where does he go from here? What is the role of Mario going forward? Do you see it being something that's just going to continually be changing and evolving? Or do you think that as market demands change, as the way we play games changes, do you think we're going to start seeing the character kind of like lose some of that luster and importance? Or what do you think? Uh, I think if you would ask me that, 
five years ago, I would say I think he's going to lose his luster and importance. Because um, that, you know, he's gone through, like every character, he's, he waxes and wanes. He goes through through uh, portions of time that he's bigger than others. And a while there, it seemed like, okay, they're kind of, they're, they haven't, they, they, they've figured out the 3D thing, and now they're sort of like, Continuing to do that and do it really well sometimes. Like Mario 3D World was my my favorite game of the year it came out. It was it was just an expertly polished uh, experience, but it also, like I said, it wasn't it wasn't pushing uh, right. the boundaries. Um, Odyssey at least appears to be pushing the boundaries. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't want to I don't want to prejudge before having played it, but it it's the kind of thing that I can see them, uh, you know ushering in kind of a new era of Mario. This is what Mario stands for now. And mm-hmm. Nintendo just constantly surprises us. Um, right. I don't think anyone saw the switch coming uh, in, in the way that it, it did. Um, like we, we all sort of like had heard the rumors had, and understood what it was going to be. I don't think anybody understood it being the, the runaway success that it's been. So I think people underestimate Nintendo at their own peril and they, they tend to find ways to surprise us when we think that they have no surprises left. And I feel like Mario is always going to be a part of that, right? And part of the reason that it works is because, you know, I could... One of the things when I was uh, pitching this idea, I was kind of like kind of joking about it, half joking about it on social media. Um, I was saying, like, I could do a show about Mario and no one could stop me. And people were excited about that because, like, everybody kind of knows who Mario is, right? I I can say Mario to somebody like, oh, yeah, they're at least familiar with it, even if they've never played a game before. Yeah. And so, like, I wonder if that is going to be kind of like we can try and experiment and do crazy things as the market dictates and changes. I mean, they did a mobile game um, on uh, iOS and Android, which they've never done before with Mario. Um, that was a big hit for them last year. Um, I, I, th- I think that's kind of interesting to see, like, you know, this is the thing. This is like the, the justification or the way that we can kind of play around and do things we wouldn't normally do. And Nintendo has cultivated Mario into uh, this, you know, powerhouse brand that they that it immediately lends some cachet to to anything they touch. At the same time, it's not as if they don't have, um, you know, avenues for experimentation. We we haven't mm-hmm. mentioned we haven't mentioned Kirby, but like Kirby has become like their dumping ground for we want to try this weird thing. Put Kirby in it, you know, and <laughs> and if they find something really works, like you know, remarkably well, they can always just graft that onto a Mario game. Like they've they very cleverly may let Mario be this thing that can be both experimental and also very mm-hmm. secure and very cultivated carefully uh, by leaning on their other things uh, when they need to. And yeah, I I think that's I think that's a good point. He's the he's the banner holder for their systems. I mean, we mm-hmm. we, we mentioned the Switch. Uh, they had a they had the Zelda game that launched with it, which was you know huge for it. Having a Zelda game and a Mario game in the same year, holy crap! Um, but <laughs> but Mario is always like the thing that is most associated with Nintendo. And so, like I mentioned at the very beginning, when they have a new mainline Mario game coming out, that's why it's a huge deal because they yeah they're, like, they're so cautious with how often they actually do that. Right. It's, it'd be like, you know, if you had a new Star Wars and a new Godfather coming out in the same month, right? Like, it's, it's not a thing that happens all the time. Yeah. I don't even know when the last time a Mario and Zelda game have come out in the same year. Uh, um, I, I think, been... Well, you had Link Between Worlds and 3D World uh, came out in the same year, but I don't know if that quite counts. Yeah, the, I mean, Link Between Worlds, as much as I love it, 
when people use the in the same year comparison, they tend to think like brand new, you know, from the ground up, major mainline type thing. Um, right. I think it it might have been um, it might have been Mario World and Link to the Past, but only in Japan. I think I think, or maybe only in Europe. There was some territory that I think those two actually launched in the same year, but it wasn't in America. Um, mm-hmm. So it it actually may have almost almost never or never happened in America. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a big deal. Yeah, and and I think the other thing that's interesting is that you if you put uh, a kid in front of Mario, like um, there's still interest there. Like they still get it. Um, my my nieces and nephews will they love playing Mario Kart. They love playing Mario Run. They love those characters. My nephew has a bunch of like little toad dolls, and he just carries them around with him. He just won't let them go. Um, and, and and I think that kind of just shows like again like it's it's exciting to see the characters and and the games coming out like this in that sort of like kind of rarefied, you know, all these games are coming out at once, but it's, it's also sort of reassuring to see that these things that we loved as kids still carry that kind of brand impact um, and still kind of carry that, that influence on people. And and the mechanics are still, you know, yeah. alive and well. I was in some, some sort of public space and I saw this kid in front of me over his shoulder was playing you know, one of those, uh, uh, the one that I know the name of is called the impossible game. I don't know if this is, was actually that, but the mobile game is the impossible game where you're, you're just, you know, tapping the screen to jump with like perfect precision timing. Um, mm-hmm. and like, it occurred to me like that kid, I don't know if that kid knows or not, but that is, he's just playing a Mario game where, where right. auto run is on. Like that's all that, I, that that is. And <laughs> it's, 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 it's holding down the jump button to jump the correct amount, the correct height and letting it go at the right moments. Um, it, it's basically just that, like, it's like the lost levels level of challenge, but it's, mm-hmm. it's that. Um, and so whether or not he recognizes that impact, it's there. Right. Everything old is new again. Yep. Uh, any other last Incl- thoughts for we including us, <laughs> including, <laughs> including us. Mario, who's 25 yeah. years old. <laughs> I, I refuse to accept that. I, I, it is in, in my head, it is not true. In my head, it's not not real. In my Um, head, Ken, he says he says he's twenty five on the dating sites. uh, (laughs) Um, Any other last thoughts about Mario before we uh, (laughs) we wrap up here? No, I'm sure I'll have a lot more uh, uh, come Friday. But uh, yeah, (laughs) Uh, Captain Toad. Let's let's devote a show to Captain Toad. Sure, I'm I'm down for it. Um, where can people, uh, see you if they want to know more about you, Steve, if they want to know more about me, Oh gee. Uh, well on Twitter, you can follow me at Sporky Reeve. Um, that's, uh, I've got a few things in the works, but I can't talk about any of them yet. So, right. so once, once I have something to talk about, I'll, I'll announce it there. So everything's going to be on twitter.com slash Sporky Reeve. Yep. Uh, so keep an eye out there for his thoughts on Mario as well. And, uh, thank you very much, Steve. It's as always a pleasure. And uh, we'll be talking to you again probably before the end of the year, I think. I think we're going to be doing something. So just keep an eye out for that, everybody Ooh, else. My ears are yeah, <laughs> Yeah. I, we talked about this. It shouldn't be too much of a surprise to you unless it is, in which case I'll tell you off air. I love um, a Q-tip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do it. It'll be a pleasure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. Thanks.
And there you go, another great episode of Serious Fun, or at least an adequate one. I'd like to thank Steve Watts for his time and talking to me about Mario. Stick around, we got more great stuff coming on Serious Fun, but until then, I'm Brian Carr, and I want you to go out and have some fun of your own. You just listened to a Phoenix Studio production, the podcast network for the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.